Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to episode 68 of the Coach Fury Podcast. Today's guest is somebody that I met through Strength Faction. He's a fellow Strong Islander, and he's actually the guy that trains my mom. And that is Chris Cooper, a.k.a. Coop, the owner of Amp in Massapequa, Long Island. And I'm very excited for this conversation. Time flew. We got into a lot of stuff. Uh, Before we get into Chris and I, let's talk about some workshops I have coming up, starting the new year strong. January 13th, Original Strength Pressing Reset at MFF Bowery. Then on January 26th, the DVRT four-hour workshop hits Milestone Fitness in Southeast and Mass. And then um, shortly after that, this is a new one, just put up February 3rd, another DVRT workshop at the Brooklyn Athletic Center, Larry Betts' awesome place in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. That's happening on February 3rd. March 2nd and 3rd, there's still a few spots left open for the RKC at Momentum Fitness. And then the HKC returns to MFF Bowery the following weekend on March 10th. Um, Stuff coming up in September and later in the year and still building out the middle of the year schedule. But that's what's happening for now. Uh, Obviously, if you want to come and train with me over at Fury Industries in South Brooklyn, Gowanus, New York, uh, visit CoachFury.com and you can find out all about my services, all about these workshops, um, because I don't expect you to be writing it down right now. Let's keep that real. A couple of things. If you love this show and want to show some support, here's two big ways. You can drop us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe. That's super helpful. Also, if you want to make a financial donation towards this show, hit up patreon.com slash coachfurypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash coachfurypodcast. And you become a patron and donate like however much you want per episode or per month or just a flat donation to help support the show. Uh, The money so far that has been raised by my current patrons. Thank you. Julian, Victor, James, and Brian has bought this microphone and is helping to pay off my new computer. Uh, That said, every little bit helps, so anything you could do would be great. But that's enough about me. Let's start this new year strong with Chris Cooper and I chatting about a lot of stuff. A bunch of the Strength Faction crew were out for uh, drinks and some food the other night, this weekend while Kristen Callahan was in town. Uh, a bunch of us are actually from Long Island and a bigger crew of us actually uh, not only work in Long Island, but work in the city. So five of us met up, enough to make Voltron. Yep. And we got into like fun and joking around, but we also had like a lot of big, uh, what I think were actually some pretty big important fitness business conversations, uh, which we'll dive in here on this one. I know you and I got sparked up in particular about social media. Yeah. The cool thing I realized the next morning, uh, though I was a bit hungover, I I met up with Kim and we went out after. Um, That whole conversation and knowing all of you would not have happened without Strength Faction. Yeah. Like, I I didn't know you. I didn't know Kristen. I didn't know Kirk uh, or Cynthia. None of them. And certainly, like, Kristen and I have had some real big heart-to-hearts in terms of conversations. Cynthia has gone through, I mean, a few people have gone through courses with me. Uh, Kirk has been like a, one of my closer buddies from Faction. And I always say use this comment about like, you know, having certain things doesn't make you qualified to train my mom. Well, you train my mom. Yeah. And I came out of that 
I was pretty fired up. I get passionate, especially if I've had a few drinks, but uh, I, I woke up the next morning. I'm like, this is enrollments happening now. I don't want this to turn like a strength faction commercial, but I, I do want to say there's a value outside of a program other than what is just being offered in the program. And the, the, I don't want to say networking, but I guess it starts at networking and then just becomes relationships. It, it ends up, yeah, it's exactly that. It becomes relationship building outside of talking to each other as, as colleagues. It, it becomes much more than that. It's crazy. And it really left an impact. And, and I hope anybody that's listening that hasn't signed up for Strength Faction or done a semester yet, um, I think enrollment's like still open for a week. So jump on it. This, this episode will be the New Year's Eve episode. Treat yourself. Treat yourself to 2019 with the opportunity to have somebody train a family member, help you out through business, um, help you through some hard choices, um, and just to be honest with each other. Well, KCAL is the one reason why I'm in Strength Faction to begin with. Is it? How'd that connect happen? So we connected at um, a Habitry event in Boston. Um, and I actually met uh, Rob Hoffman there too. At, at the same same time um and we talked while we were there found out she was from massapequa and we just got it talking back and forth and i saw something in the fall about strength action prior to um prior to signing up but i was already doing um i was doing a program with uh, john russin at the time so I was like i don't want to invest into this program because I'm not going to do the program. So I didn't know how much I was going to get out of it. So I was like, all right, I'll wait a semester and I'll do it in, in January. And then as luck would have it, KCAL stopped by the gym that December while she was home and just told me to do it. So I was like, all right, I was thinking about it. Let me, let me just do it. And it's the best decision I've made since joining. And that was two years ago. You and I, I think started at the same session then. I can't remember the exact what it was. But I know for me, I came on solely for programming. Um, I was actually just talking with Todd about him just doing like specific online coaching just for me. And Wheels is the one who was like, you should really just do Strength Faction. So I'm like, all right. I just, I, I really, for me, I was in a training rut. Uh, I was having a really good year business-wise, but stressed out about it because it was so much work. And I just wanted a training program, which that first phase is actually probably the most specific I stuck to the training program, but everything else is actually what's been benefiting my career and my, my professional life. And also my, my friends and stuff um, has been all of the other lessons and the community aspect of it. And yeah. I think that's like a good point to make if anybody's been on the fence about strength faction, look, if you just need a program or to open your eyes to some concepts of programming, Chris Merritt and what he puts together is brilliant. You get a, a little sample of what the type of thing that I generally do on a, on a Fury style. You know, I do Fury Thursdays, sometimes Fury Saturdays. That's probably closer to how I personally train day to day. Um, the most inception thing that, that happens is doing Fury Thursdays while listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's a whole lot of me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, folks, that Fury Thursday is viewed somewhat as a, as a movement rest, uh, reset day. Uh, but it also, if you did something like that five days a week, you would be uh, very fit as well. I don't have access to barbells in my place. Um, 
So, you know, uh, I, I sort of modify strength action programming. I had my thyroid issues now that I have to deal with. I sometimes have certs that I'm teaching that I have to prepare for. So the programming has become for me sort of like the smallest of the quadrants of the elements that we focus on, but I continue to grow out of the other ones. This show is, is another perfect example. This, exactly. this podcast was a lesson from Todd and I literally had this show up and running two days after that lesson, after I was like, do I have the gear signing up for the accounts? Like we started going on it and it's been over a year now. Like we're and Casey Lee and Casey Lee's podcast and Adam's podcast. And, um, you know, it's been pretty cool and it's given a platform for a lot of people to have their first sort of podcast experience in terms of being interviewed. Um, which I know we somebody reached out to me about Ray Tulaney the other day, my buddy, Jamie Hunter. Hey, Jamie, uh, I know you're going to listen to this one. Uh, Ray Tulaney, when he reached out to me to be on his show, I know that a friend, I believe it was Seth Muncie, referred me to him and he used to have the super strength show. Now, Ray, if you, if somebody knows Ray, get that show back on. That was a great show, Ray. We just realized that it hasn't been on for potentially almost two years or a little over a year. Um, but I remember thinking like, not only was it like a big honor to be on a podcast, but also I think it's a good, it's a good opportunity to try to clear your thoughts in a public forum, which has like a slightly different stress level. For the host or the guest? Okay. Both, I think. Um, it's funny. I think Ray's show, it was Q&A style. So some shows like Casey's show, more or less, is based on three questions. Um, yeah. You know, it's called, you know, the three things podcast. CaseyLee.com, CoachCaseyLee.com. I think it's CoachCaseyLee.com. Yeah, folks. Now he's, got, now he's got a bonus round, a speed round. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think I had a couple of extra too because I think I went on a superhero rant or some shit. Uh, also, I'd say, folks, check out the Strength Faction podcast as well. It's almost like we have our our, our hub. And what's Adam? The name of Adams? Fuck, Adam. I'm so sorry. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'm forgetting about it now. Um, I was out late drinking heavily with the missus last night. We went and saw Dave Attell at Caroline's 10 p.m. show. Um, it sounds like I drink a lot. It's the holidays, folks. I don't drink that much. But anyway, when you have a Q&A style, I think the stress is off the host uh, to some degree. Casey's not specifically, but it's like, here's the question and just wait for the answer. Here's the next question and wait for the answer. Um, I sometimes, uh, I feel stressed that from having more conversations like we're doing, Already in the back of my head, I'm thinking I'm talking too much and I got to let you shine more. Uh, but also I want you to look good and I want to protect everybody too. Cause you know, the weird thing, and I know Joe Rogan's mentioned this on his podcast more often lately is when you're having an unstructured conversation, there is the threat, especially now in, in today's climate to say something that could be potentially offensive. That was not meant to be that you just say something, it comes out weird or an awkward sentence and I do worry about that. It's only happened once on this show that I've edited. Somebody made a comment that I'm like, you know, I know where this was meant to be. I'm going to save you any potential hassle from like the 250 people that listen to this show. Um, but I do worry about that. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, because you know, like there's real evil out there and then there's having a, a, a dirty or sick sense of humor, which doesn't make you necessarily a bad person. Um, I also tend to come from the realm of comedy of like, you almost can't go uh, twisted enough in a way, because I think that's a way of handling what's scary out there is to oh, make sure. Yeah. 
And I think that's kind of a lost art, but like, you know, I don't want if somebody's, you know, I think there's certain things like uh, sexuality jokes or, uh, you know, uh, uh, obese things that I'm like, these jokes suck now. It's really weird watching old movies back sometimes and you're like, man, it was just a cheap shot. I was listening to um, your, the last episode on my drive home from, from Boston today. And you guys talked about the, the very same thing. I think you, you were talking about like um, Teen, Teen Wolf and I think it's not something else. Teen Wolf, uh, it, was, it was the fact that the kids... Like all the movies, movies, like Goonies and, and Teen Wolf and all those. And how- Teen Wolf and Monster Squad, they all mention Fag or Faggot um, super casually. And there's this line again of like, yeah, is that's maybe how kids talk, right? Like, I'm sure that's how kids talked. I'm sure I was a part of it in uh, my ignorant upbringing, you know, like growing up in a town of just pretty much almost all white guys and ladies and uh, being the Jew that was picked on or half Jew that was picked on. But like, it didn't really bother me so much because we all ripped off. You know, I come from a neighborhood probably like massive people. So let, let, let's clear this up. Chris literally lives like 15 to 10 minutes to 15 minutes from where I, I grew up. So we are very much like, uh, there's no different in terms of upbringing, in terms of culturally <laughs> hometown style. It would be parents and our specific group of friends. But like, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I would have bagel slurs thrown at me every now and then by my friends, but I would also make a Mick comment and, you know, the Guinea comments or my Italian friends, my, 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 Half, my, my Italian half Jewish friend um, was called a pizza bagel. Like we all threw shit at each other and it's just sort of like how we clowned around, but we weren't like actually trying to hurt anyone's feelings, right? Like none of us, that didn't sting. That said, I know there were things now that probably did sting some of our friends who would later come out, right? That you just don't always know. So yeah. I think that's where that mindfulness of, uh, maybe before you say something, you think about it a little bit, right? Yeah. But I also don't love the idea of cert- like overpowering words, certain words to the point of like, you're in trouble the moment it comes out of your mouth. I think intent, I think situation, um, sometimes. What was that? They all play a role. Yeah. You have to be able to read the, the tone and inflection of it. You know, I mean, we went to the, uh, you know, we, we saw David Tell play last night, perform last night, play sounds weird. And, you know, he crushed it. And Dave's like a, a very dirty, you know, his, his comedy style, super dirty, super funny. And you have to go in there knowing like, like I, this isn't a, hum, a brag in any way, but Dave and I, I've known Dave for years. Uh, I've trained Dave for a while. It's been a while since I've trained him. But I've also known like Dave is one of the nicest, most generous people I've ever met. Like he does a ton of work outside. So it's like comedy is a way to laugh at things that are bad in the world. It's a way to expose things. But when we start trying to censor that shit, like it's some sort of book in a third grade classroom for adults. Into a a lot of trouble. Man, that's not a world I want to live in. If it makes you think a moment before you call someone a fag or something, right? Like how he was being thrown out in these movies. Like maybe don't put that in the script. Like that's what I'm like excited about in this political correctness world is there's going to be reasons for those words that is, they're not, they're not important to prove a point, whether it's in a TV show or in a movie or to make a joke, like you can find another way, I guess. Yeah. But again, so even how another way that, that, that pushes the story forward or that makes your point better. Yeah. 
I mean, maybe it leads to a moment of character redemption down the line. I, I don't know. Also possible. But even having these conversations, like, I hope everybody realizes we're trying to have a positive, open conversation. Sometimes I'm like, I just said the F word like a bunch of times. Like, is somebody just going to get pissed that that's what I've said? Mind you, folks, like, I also grew up as a skateboarder, and I've said this on the show, where people would yell out skate fag at me all the time. Like, it was like, jocks did not love skateboarding uh, in the Levittown area of, of Long Island. <laughs> so I had, I had a lot of shit yelled at me, too. Well, anytime, anytime I teach, I preface the beginning with I'm probably going to drop an F-bomb here or there and I don't I do it with no disrespect or anything it's just it just pops out because if I get animated about something it just happens you know it's so true and this is something I actually struggle with so my normal speech pattern I am very prone how I grew up with my friends of cursing a lot and to the point where it's like it's too much and I caught it and then I got the gig at MFF where it was like like cursing for the sake of cursing isn't promoted, but foul language there and finding unique ways to generate foul language cues are highly promoted there. So suddenly you're in a situation where you're just hearing like a lot of stuff, right? Like dick, tits, ass, blah, 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 whatever. It's all the time. It's in the queuings. And there's like, you know. There's a Blink-182 song in there somewhere. Yeah, totally, right? Like, but back when they were like purely funny. You know, oh, yeah. That, that like, it, like, like, like mid to early 90s yeah right and some of that's great and some of it even bothered me and i know you know like uh there was a big thing um uh, i don't raj law posted a cue that he thought was funny and that he likes getting to use just because it's a funny sentence it does support a cue and someone got offended by it and a conversation started um and i i saw both sides of this conversation i think on one end so it was it was about uh um, protecting your asshole as a way to like squeeze your glutes, protect yeah. your asshole. Right. So in one way, like for me, I'm not thinking immediately about, uh, homophobia, rape, any of that. I'm just thinking, Oh, like, I just got to protect. Like, I just think protect flip side of that is if that's something that's been part of your culture for a long time, like that could be viewed as like, Oh, anything going in there is like, Oh, that's bad. Well, what if I'm into stuff? Right. And this conversation started and and it was really interesting to see how aggressive certain people got against the person who brought this up like someone just flat out called him a wanker and i know the guy he's not a wanker it's just like it's something to consider um but it's also like you know like not everything is so i don't want to say it's not so openly potentially homophobic but like there's got to be a point where you got to realize the intent in the person like raj law is one of the greater human beings on this planet um doesn't necessarily make anything he said uh, give him a free pass for anything but like you know where this statement was coming from you know what his intent was with the with the cue yeah so at a certain point it it falls on the person that's receiving it to interpret it that's the biggest thing right where and, and you can't live in a world teach a class create a video write a movie that is gonna safely appeal to a hundred percent of the people no right well then you end up with a bag of shit it's just just so bland right like it's just like tasteless paste of of something like there has to be a threat to offend in a way otherwise life's just boring you know it's like how people like to go into the city back especially back in the uh you know 80s 90s where it was dangerous 
people want to go where it's a little risky and you want to be able to have risky dialogue and, and risky conversations and a risky sense of humor just to kind of feel sharp and alive sometimes. And also to take your mind off of like the day-to-day -day threats. So Raj, I hope you don't mind that I brought this up, um, uh, but it did open up a conversation and someone actually threw out, and I've gotten called out for this, I'll use a cue of zipping up your prison wallet to, to, to contract your glutes. It's like an internal external cue in my mind. Uh, I learned it from my buddy Pete uh, in a completely unrelated to fitness way. Uh, and someone got really offended that somehow I was making super fun of prison rape. And I'm like, it actually has absolutely nothing to do with prison rape. It has to do with like retention and storing stuff, right? Like you don't want to let it out. I'll also say like you just butt chug Robitussin and you don't want to like spill any. It's a retention thing as opposed to just saying squeeze your cheeks. Now look, is there a listener of this show that might be in prison and then might have thought that that's like a horrible thing to say? Like maybe, and I'm sorry if I offended you, but like it's also kind of a funny, silly thing. Came out years later in Deadpool 2. I was saying this before Deadpool 2 came out. And you know, like, does it get the job done? Yeah, if you think about keeping things inside, you're gonna squeeze. And it's gonna be a reflexive response and not some sort of fake response. So anyway, Raj, I got your back on that. Um, folks listening and, and reading those types of things like again put it into the situation put it into the person and maybe pm them with the comment too that you don't you, you know about a, a counterpoint as opposed to just on the blog because uh, nobody really ends up winning those conversations because the 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 smaller thinking people are just going to bash and keep bashing and hit meme land and and not open up the dialogue anyway that was a rant i didn't or direction i didn't mean to go a little bit of rant I mean, if it gets the if it gets the job done with the client that it's intended for, then I also are, think are you necessarily wrong? No, and if you're setting up a situation where, like, an, uh, if you're setting up an environment, so Chris owns uh, Amp in um, what's the full name of your place? Active Movement and Performance. A M P, as my mom would say. Yeah. <laughs> right and. You set up, like you'll set up the expectation of what this experience is going to be like. And that's not just types of lifts. That's not just where certain types of gear is or where classrooms are. That's also, this is kind of how we speak to each other. This is sort of the sense of humor of this facility. Uh, maybe this coach is a little bit, you know, uh, drier sense of humor. This is the wacky one. You set that stuff up. MFF clearly sets up far, far, far into like almost anything goes. It's literally called Ridiculous Human Serious Fitness. Um, so then like, does that mean it's again, it doesn't give a get out of jail free card, but it's also like, look, you might hear something that you don't agree with. You can let somebody know. Certainly talk, all of the coaches there uh, are open for like a direct email. The problem is, is people will either go straight to Facebook or they'll go straight to Mark. And then it gets like this whole round circular secular thing where it's like okay then it goes to mark and then it's a conversation and it just takes up so many much more people's time as opposed to just having that crucial conversation with the person yeah i mean you, you cut things off right away if you have that one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah and it, yeah i think it's just when somebody has a gym experience and then suddenly there's like one trainer that is completely has a completely different set of cues of personality that is just shockingly different from the rest of the facility where that I could see becoming problematic. Um, I'm not saying everybody should yeah, be like the same, 
But, you know, if suddenly somebody's dressing up in, uh, in, a, in you know, unicorn onesie in a gym that that's not like a thing, you're not fitting your environment. You'd also should be paying a royalty to MFF at that point. I mean, I set the environment when I'm wearing my, my meggings when I work out. You do have a fine collection of meggings. I do. Yeah, meggings, male tights. Yeah. Are they, are, are, here's the thing though, because I, I know my answer. Are they all male tights or are you wearing women's tights? No, they're all male tights. Where are you getting all them from? Uh, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> mine are mostly female tights, size no, extra all large. Mine are, all mine are male tights, yeah. Um, two of them are from Feed Me, Fight Me. And I'm waiting for them to put out more male tights because the ones they have for the women are, are awesome. I think I met the guy, the owner of that company once at a Comic-Con like three years ago. I think he had a booth. They, put up, they, de they definitely put up good stuff. I think I have one of them's from Flex Comics. They were Deadpool uh, leggings. Um, actually, you know what? The anatomy leggings that I have might be women's leggings. Those might be the only ones. <laughs> those are gross <laughs> I got, my friend amanda has a pair too and like they're just they creep me out just chimpy i think was the first person i saw with those and they creep me out i, I just got ones uh goku ones the other the other week the oh that's awesome yeah I'm, I'm toying with the idea now I, I make most of my 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 merch through teespring although i'm thinking of changing that up and they, they you can make leggings now and i'm okay. with the idea of making some die mighty leggings but i'm like for the two people that might wear them. I don't know if that's worth the effort of having Kim lay them out. Um, but let's talk, let, let's switch gears. The, 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 the thing, um, so folks, here's the thing. If you're a member at a gym and you're hearing something or you're in a situation you're comfortable with, talk to the coach first if you feel you have the relationship. If you don't, then go to the manager. But coach first, I think, is going to be the most direct way if it's a small thing. Because then it gets sorted before it becomes a big thing. If it becomes a big thing or you're not getting heard, then go to the manager. And if the manager's not listening to you, then it's time to get the fuck out of your facility. Um, I know I'm just training with somebody uh, referred to me by my buddy, Ridge Carpenter. Hey, Ridge, Die Mighty created the Die Mighty logo. And this guy had been going to the gym four to five days a week, paying for sessions three to four days a week for years. And suddenly, like, some of the trainers and some of the members started getting, like, you, 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 like douchey over you know like it's one of those like mom and pop sort of big box facilities that people will like go bench and squat bench and squat bench and squat five rounds over the course of an hour and a half so if you're trying to work in they get all competitive or they try not to let you share so he was getting like jerked around and no one was listening to him so we started by trying to talk to the coach the coach didn't do anything talk to management management was actually hostile about it and he left and i'm grateful that he left because guess where he trains now with me. So anyway, it, I feel like that's like a good way to go. But I know I've been on both ends where I've had some really uh, wonderful yet, you know, sometimes it's hard to hear that you're doing something wrong, or it's certainly hard to hear that you might have inadvertently upset somebody that that sucks. Um, but I'm always appreciative of those conversations. And sometimes it is a manager level thing like, oh, I had no idea that I was potentially doing this on a bigger, bigger thing. But like, sometimes I just wish like, it's like if you've done this, like if somebody's like, you know, several times you've done this thing that's bothered me. Well, why didn't you tell me at the second one or at the first yeah. one? And, and that's, that's like that's joint also, accountability. That's also the person's interpretation of what you said or did also. Like yeah. you know, might not have had that 
that that tone or meaning in the first place but the way you took it created this narrative in your head very true the flip side of this and we were talking about this at, at, at drinks the other night um won't name the person because I don't want it to potentially get back to to uh, the client in question. But sometimes it's actually the client that's hella inappropriate, and the coach doesn't get protected. Whether it's a one-on-one situation or you know, sometimes you just have a class and one person really just sours the entire thing, it just becomes like an energy suck for the whole room. Or becomes a distraction for the whole room. Yeah. And it's hard because sometimes it's cute for like a minute. And then there's that like, oh, I got attention. So I'm going to keep doing it. It's like a, you know, a kid with a bad habit. And you're like, fuck. And then you have to have that conversation where, you know, and, and we also talked about how the, the big thing we all worry about is losing clients for money, where sometimes you got to be like, can we sort this out and see how it goes or be prepared to lose the person? And I think it comes down to, and this goes towards some of the professional professionalism, self-care that I've been working on and, and this whole workshop that I've been working on, on avoiding those energy suckers just because you don't want to lose out on the money. Like there's a line there where at a certain point, it's, it's not worth that aggravation. It's also hard too, because like this is a, a, an interesting, I don't think we've really spoken about on this show, the whole firing of a client. Like some people are so quick to be like, and I've been in this position where I've like, you know, that's taking too much time out of your life. You know, you, you cut them loose. It's not worth it. But then on the other side of that, some of those difficult people are, there's clearly something deeper going on with some of them, if not all of them. And some of them you could actually help in a bigger way. Not that I'm ever trying to be like a psychologist in a session in that aspect. It's finding that right balance, right? That's a hard part when you, so you have a difficult client that the easy thing would be to let them go. But then there's still that ray of hope that you can change them. If you, have you had a situation like that at AMP where um, you've had to have like a, a very hard conversation with a member? Um. It might not have been me. It might have been my business partner that has had more of the those uh, rougher conversations. So I'm talking to the wrong person on the show today. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to be quick to say, "Don't fire the person." Like I, I've gone on, like on Facebook. Uh, groups and people say, oh, fire right away, fire right away. And I'm like, well, no, you have to have a conversation of why things are going the way they're going in the first place. Um, yeah, I can't remember anything specific, but I'm, I'm sure I've had that conversation with, I've had that conversation with a couple of clients, not in reference to what was going on with me, but with maybe one of the other coaches or one of the other clients. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how it's sometimes a hard line, like this situation that we were talking about with one of the faction members, a friend of ours, was like, it was almost like a stalking situation from the client. Um, and, and there was a, a, a tie up between both the professionalism of this is a paying person, and you know, the loyalty of wanting to help somebody versus like a potential real threat outside of the facility. 
which for me is like, that's an easy go. Like that's, we just can't have that here. Um, but even with an easy go, you kind of, unless somebody's like specifically threatening, you have to have at least the one shot, right? Alamo draft house movie theaters. You basically get like one, if, if somebody's talking, you get one warning and then you're out. And I kind of feel like Jim should be more like a one warning than like a three, five, six warning. And I think a lot of us sometimes give people a lot of slack, um, potentially. Too. That's the money. Yeah, it is. Uh, but it's like, it's that negative impact on everyone else. It's, it's a real hard trick though. Um, I've been very fortunate that the, when I've hit those situations, the person's kind of like mutually left. And I have a feeling I probably start to give unintentionally a vibe in the room. Um, but I had a, I had a thing when I left MFF where I, I had a very high paying client who, uh, just was very negative about, you know, everything like outside of fitness. And it's really hard to try to help someone, even if they're a friend and just be bombarded with negativity for now. I'm like, where's this coming from? It's not all aimed at me, but it's like, can we just like enjoy it? Like trying to lift or something. And that became like a real challenge for me because at the time I literally had just left my full-time job and uh, at MFF and was like, I don't know if I can, you know, survive without it. But then as that dwindled, you know, it sort of dissolved, you know, how like some of those people just dissolve naturally. It yeah. was fucking like such a relief. And then I've also had some clients that I've known for a long time that, you know, you get some people that come in and they, and, and they don't, they don't progress or push themselves. And if you try to push them, there'll be some random injury three days, four days after the session that has something to do with you. And you're like, you know, like I, it's not me. I, I'm not really helping you. I will spend this hour moving with you if, if the bare minimum works. And that's a hard position for me too. Like I want people to come in and I want to like progress and you want, you want to see them improve in some sort of way. And if, if they're not putting in the same amount of effort that you are, that's, that's where it starts to, you start to lose your, your passion for trying to help them. Yeah. It, it, and you kind of like, you can't necessarily take pride in it, but as long as that session's like comfortable, I, I don't feel the need necessarily. Are they enjoying the session? Are they getting what they want out of the session? Yeah. And sometimes it literally is, I'm being told to pick up a kettlebell, joking around a little bit. I got a bit of a sweat on, mentally thinking I worked and gave it 150% when 25% was delivered. And you know what, like if that makes them feel better, like I'm kind of okay with that on one aspect, but on the other aspect, like I'm not even having the opportunity to like help you the way that we can do this. And, and I never thought of it this way, but it's that, you know, fragile mindset versus fragile physicality. A lot of people's fragile physicality comes from having a mindset that they're, they're, they're fragile and, and easily damaged and broken. Yeah. But they're the gonna yeah. That, I think it's, that could be something that was told to them in the past that has no, reflection on you or even them they might have had a past experience with a doctor or, or something that put that mindset in their head that yeah I, and i also certain way they're gonna be broken and, and no matter what you do or what the base minimum is somehow it's gonna hurt them yeah yeah and i and I, I mean i've had those conversations with clients who come in with different medical reports and MRIs and stuff. And they're like, well, this is what's wrong with me and I can't do this. Well, I'm like, all right, well, we can find a way 
to work around that or work through it. Um, but you have to trust the process and you have to trust that I know what I'm doing. Which is why I sent my mom to you because my mom would fall. Uh, mom, I'm sure you're going to listen to this because <laughs> it's Chris and I, but I think my mom would fall in that category. Uh, she has a, 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 a lot of like knee, hip, back, shoulder stuff. Um, she's got a crew of doctors and uh, I will, she knows I sometimes don't, necessarily have the greatest of faith in some of the people that are you know her medical things um and she's prone to put it off waiting for doctor's orders versus finding a way to go around it which is why i knew when it was time to like I, mom it's time to get to a gym it's just why i knew you'd be one of the, the perfect guy for me there the perfect facility and i think a lot of people comment that because you know it's one thing it's a little different with my mom because she's you know she's older but I know you get people in their mid thirties, early forties that have had some injuries from whatever randomness in life. It could have been like the one skiing accident. It could have been a car accident. Um, you know, that just feel like, well, I've, I've gone to physical therapy and it helped to a degree and they might not have a very physical background, right? Where they've gone in and out of training. They, they just might not have that at all. So suddenly what they have in terms of a physical awareness is the injury. And it's not what they've done. You know, like as a skateboarder, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the ER and has it impacted how hard I charge my skateboarding? Yeah. Has it impacted my strength training? No, unless I'm banged up from a specific thing. But if you don't have a physical background through some sort of sport, I'm not judging you anybody. Like, uh, again, I've never played football really um, or baseball or, or any sort of legit sport. Um, you don't have a no, you don't know other, like your, your sense of yourself becomes what you've hurt, not what you've accomplished. Yeah, exactly. Your, your mindset's so wrapped up in the negative aspect of what your body can do that it doesn't see the positive potential of what it could do. If you put it in I wish everybody could just hear that right now. Everybody of my 250-ish <laughs> listeners, uh, take a sound bite of that. And share that around the world because it's true, you know, even, and on the flip side of this is you have people that excelled in physical something for a while and got so banged up through it that they feel like they, they have no concept of what a good benchmark would be for post, whether it's competing success, post team success, it's hard for them to find what's a benchmark now in daily success of fitness, right? So, you know, if you played a sport at a pretty high level, but you know, your shoulders or your knees are out because of it. Yeah, you're not going to be able to hit that same level, but you could still go far. Um, but the mindset is always at that competition level. It depends on how, it depends on if you have a resilient mindset versus a non-resilient mindset. I, I struggle with that. I, ha I had a client. I still have a client. I've been training her for uh, eight to nine years. Um, shout out to Brooke. Uh, hey, Brooke. She ended up having to have emergency surgery for uh, a disc, for like a herniated disc. Um, and her goal was to deadlift as much as she was pre-surgery, post-surgery. And I mean, she worked her ass off to get there. But she has a crazy resilient mindset where if you tell her that she can't do something, she's going to say, fuck you, I'm going to do it. And yeah. I think that, that's the difference between somebody that looks at 
what their body is capable of doing and doing it and somebody that looks at their injury and says, I can't do anything anymore. Well, you and I both have kids. It's like when, when it, sometimes you, you, you never want your kid to get hurt, but sometimes you're like, oh, if they touch a flame, they're going to, you know, they'll never do that again. But it's, it's the, it almost becomes in, in fitness uh, or, or, or in our own physicality, it becomes, okay, so I touched this flame and it burned my hand. I'm going to stay away from the fucking kitchen, right? As opposed to the flame, <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to stay away from the oven. I'm going to go into a different room and that way that's not going to hit versus like, it's really only these things. And if you can learn to like manipulate those factors that you got burned the last time, which is like simply like you can get close to that flame, just don't touch the flame. A lot of success in like sort of normalcy comes out of that. But it, it's, it's an interesting thing. I'm dealing, I've been, I shouldn't say dealing. I, I, it's actually been really cool. Uh, again, this is another strength faction plug. Uh, Dr. Allison Heffern, congrats on getting uh, engaged to Vinny. She's been referring people to me lately. And, you know, she does what I'd say she does and what the folks like Kento Kamiyama and Jake Altman, Strength Faction, Kathy Dooley over at Catalyst Sport do is when people come in with an injury, they set them up for success knowing that like what the strength training aspect, what the recovery aspect is going to be. Whereas I think in a lot of traditional physical therapy situation, I'll use my mom as an example of this. People are just told what's broken, what needs a shot, what needs to be replaced versus like, you know, um, how, how good we can feel like if we just get stronger and, and I know it's not that simple folks, but like in some ways it, it, in is. Some ways it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Um, like the, like the, the PT and all, and all the manual therapy, it, it creates, and this is, I'm not going to say that I, I maybe the, I, I don't think I created this sign. It might've been one of my coaches, my coach and my LMT. Um, but it opens a window. It opens a window for change. And if you don't take advantage of that, you're, you're not going to change. You're going to stay in sort of that injury therapy purgatory where you never get out and you never fully challenge yourself. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's, it's, it's so psychological on, on a way. Cause it's kind of like, uh, it, it, it's, you're so, so many people that find themselves in that like super fragile position are so overly aware of sensations through their body that they can't judge good and bad ones, right? They've lost a frame of reference. Yeah. So like something might feel a little sore in your lower back. And it's like, instead of it being like a true level 10, it's almost like trying to define your uh, rate of perceived exertion, right? Instead of like, it's, Oh, that was a two. It feels like a 10, but there's really nothing there. Or the thing that's there is so minor, but we're, we're, we're focusing on it that it's, it's, it's just blown up and it become an issue. Well, your mindset is so acutely aware of any little pain or ache once you get hurt. Yeah. You hyper-focus on it and that makes it 10 times worse than what it actually could be. Yeah. I, you know, I'll take it like from skateboarding. Like, so it took me a long time to rebuild up the courage to drop into a pool uh, on my skateboard. And that is something that like, I have done thousands upon thousands of times in deeper pools, deeper ramps. You know, it's like in my, somewhere in my DNA, that is there now, right? It's a movement pattern. It's like crawling or walking. It's in there. But I started thinking about like all the shit that could go wrong if I land it wrong. And you know, when you overthink it, it's like trying to think through a kettlebell swing. You can't because the fucking things just happen. So you're more likely to get hurt when you're overthinking it as well. 
And then even if you survive, sometimes if you don't allow yourself to celebrate the victory, you're still seeing it the perceived threat, threat as opposed to allowing yourself the confidence of like, oh, I did that now. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It's a, it's a tricky thing when, and I find myself, if I look back in history now of like me over the years of skateboarding on and off, like I've had, I've like really torched my ankles out. I've had knee surgery and shoulder surgery. And, but even as a kid, when I, when I, when I had my first significant ankle injury that took me out for like six months, um, you know, I know it stopped my progress. I got good at certain things. And then I was like real afraid of other things, handrails and, and bigger staircases started coming up. Like I'm old enough where that was new at the time. And uh, I stopped trying handrails just cause I'm like, I don't want to go through six months off again, but people will have that mindset for not a handrail. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'll be for like uh, jumping up a curb or off a curb. Uh, you have to lock it out of your mind right away. You have to have a short memory span on that. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, when I used to run track in high school and college. The number of times that I clipped the hurdle, fell over a hurdle, crashed, face planted. If I would have thought of that going into my next race, I never would have raced again. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been paralyzing. Instead, you got to block it out and rely on... You have to rely on technique and intuition and, and know and trust that you'll be able to do it the next time. Yeah. I think there's, it's really hard to develop trust in yourself and that's kind of weird. Like I feel for myself, I can trust others quicker than I can trust myself in some ways for that type of stuff. You know, I used to be a real nervous traveler. Um, I, I, I just like, I, I would like love the idea of going away and then I would fucking sweat bullets over the whole experience of like, what if we're late for the plane? What if I have to poop on a plane? What if we miss this thing? I don't know where I'm going. What if somebody wants to mug us? Like, not like it, you wouldn't see me like panicking or anything, but like I had a lot of anxiety and stuff. Like all, and, internal. All, internal. all internal, right? I'm, I'm just, you know, it goes into that whole idea of like, you know, uh, I'm making this, I'm taking this trip no matter what. I could freak myself the fuck out. Like we're all walking around on this planet right now or wheeling around or limping around this planet right now. We can make it terrifying every moment. Or we can just adapt, you know, uh, to a situation at hand as opposed to trying to constantly predict a situation that might arise and most likely won't. And, you know, well, that's all anxiety is. It's what might happen. Yeah. And, you know, there's still like, you know, so I've just like done two trips to Asia, which is pretty gnarly, you know, in terms of the flight, especially this last trip to Taiwan. And there was a moment before Taiwan that I started getting anxious, which I haven't felt really traveling in a while. Because like, you know, I had this weird moment of like, well, what if I have, what if I fucking freak out being in this tube for 18 hours, right? And the bottom line is like nothing. Like I can't freak out in the tube because there's no option to it. So I'm just going to remove that element out of my head and I'm just going to watch movies and sleep. And if it's a horrible ride, it's a horrible ride. But there's nothing I can do once I'm there because I have to be at this other location. So I can either just enjoy this thing as best you can in a economy seat for 18 hours. Um, <laughs> you control what you can control. Yeah. I mean, isn't that like the, the whole AA thing, right? Let me know the things that I can change and, 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 and realize the things I can't. Um, I think that's an important thing that we get caught up on. And I think it's an interesting thing in this whole world of 
you know, self-development, I think sometimes we we're overanalyzing um, our things. We talked a little bit about this at dinner about, you know, sometimes you can over empower somebody to a point of fragile of being fragile in a different way. Um, if you're overly coddling in a fitness environment. Yeah. It's almost like the, let's, let's be honest. It's almost like giving out appreciation awards for everybody that comes to the gym when some people clearly are working harder and it doesn't make them better people. It just means in terms of this aspect, they're pushing it harder. Yeah. Some people, some people want to have a bigger drive for themselves than others. And I mean, that's, that's perfectly fine, but like you said, you can't coddle everybody. No. Some people, some people need tough love and it's a, it's another conversation you have to have with, with clients about how well they'll respond to, to that tough love or the, do they need more of a gentle guidance while they're there? I think the, tr the, the, the hard part is this. I think coaches, especially newer coaches, but even on a higher level, uh, those conversations are hard to have. You know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's a hard conversation to have. But what's harder is actually, and, and of course, sometimes in those conversations, there is that financial risk where this could be awkward enough that the person just doesn't want to come back. That said, more often than not, if you're willing to step up to somebody and sort of meet them where they're at, hear them out and have a positive conversation about something wrong or something being interpreted as potentially wrong or off-putting, they're going to respect you for having that moment um, as opposed to just what most people end up doing is just shit talking the person behind their back because they're just frustrated. And that could go on either front. You know, I, I know in my visual effects land, that was a big part of it um, that I realized I was part of the problem too. Uh, so being open to communications, but finding like a supportive way to kind of promote that as opposed to fear that is, it's tricky. It's not easy. But, you know, I look back at any job that I've ever left any relationship that sort of failed professionally or client wise. And there's not a lot of them, but there's elements of communication on both sides, my side and, you know, management or ownership facing side that could have been done a shit ton better. That probably would have left better relationships in the long run. And this is an MFF MFF and I are still 1000% homies. Um, but you know, I've ruffled feathers in the past at certain places, uh, both in fitness and in clearly in visual effects. Cause you know, ego was a big part of it and shitty com communications on both sides. Well, shitty conversations ruin everything. Yeah, it's really rough. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, the, it, toxicity can show itself up in weird ways unexpectedly, especially in a field like fitness where like so many of us are all about, you know, trying to help each other and help others. And I think maybe that's what's great about Strength Faction too, not to keep harping on it, is we tend to find like, the like-minded individuals from all the facilities. So not only are we together, but we're also spread out and we can realize that, that, that this is a thing. Like what we're talking about isn't crazy. What we hope to aspire to isn't insane that we can actually make these changes for people and for ourselves and have them work as opposed to just putting up with stuff. Yeah. The one conversation I think I had with, with KCAL about that was almost being in like a, a bubble about that and then looking into the outside world and almost getting frustrated that everybody doesn't understand the same thing. 
Yeah. It's a tricky thing sometimes. It's, you know, I know my ego gets in the way and this has come up on the show before where, you know, I'll go travel abroad and have, you know, these do these great courses, come back. And I know my members love me and I know they're seeing progress. They know that they can feel it in their movement qualities and I can see it in what they're expressing physically. Uh, And I can also see it in how they like, you know, stand a little more upright and whatnot. Um, but then at the same point, and we were talking about this the other night, like, you know, I don't have nearly enough members that if I, if I wasn't teaching workshops and doing some other stuff, you know, I wouldn't be able to survive on my class program alone. Um, and that hits my ego and that sets off my anxiety and my stress about what I'm doing. Not, am I doing this correct or how can I get better? I get caught up on like, am I failing? And why don't people, why don't more people come here? And it's like, cause they're not aware of it. Enough people aren't aware of it. Yeah, and then yeah. I, I had that, I had that moment yesterday on the way to the show. Like I, I, I have these postcards. I always have postcards now in my jacket pocket, no matter what I'm wearing in my backpack or in my coat, I have these postcards. And instead of just leaving stacks of places, like my original intent, um, you know, I try to find like who looks like one of the fury crew who would, who looks like would be a member that would appreciate training around a bunch of Godzilla toys, listening to silly heavy music and hip hop and stuff. Right. And, uh, but I get real shy about handing them out sometimes. Cause I also don't want to look like a fucking murderer. Who's like, come to my place. Right. Like walking the dog, but I look at my toys. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a nice, to- I've got a nice toy collection next to the murder room. Um, but well, I've gone over myself with that. You know, where we, we were leaving yesterday and I, I saw a woman and I was with Kim. So that helps because if Kim's with me, it doesn't look like I'm, I'm flirting or anything. But there was a woman there and I'm like uh, on the train. I'm like, you know, she looks like for whatever reason, I'm like, she just looks like somebody that would get along with the crew. It's not just me. I'm also thinking like of the group dynamic. Um, and then I noticed as we were getting ready to leave, she actually had a fucking trigger point phone roller in her bag. And I, so I was like, that's it. You know, I was like, I was like, are you a coach? She's like, no, nah, I'm a group fitness thing. I'm like, that's a coach. Uh, I do this thing here. You should come and check it out. Now, have I heard from her? No, but I'm getting over my ego or fear of if I can positively approach somebody, they can either take the card or not email or not. Right. But like I created all this anxiety about the situation. <laughs> That's not helping my business. Right. It's not helping my business. So my, my ego has to let go of that. And what I need to do is not let this anxiety stop me from just reaching out to people. And, it's, and that's, it's a fear that's because, you know, and I did it, there's a, there's a family next to us at brunch today and, uh, their kid was super cute and I'm like, Oh, that's like a nice family. I handed them a card on the way out again. We'll see what happens, but I'm setting up myself goals for that. As opposed to being like, they should just fucking know they want to be here because like I'm coach motherfucking fury. <laughs> right. I'm a master RKC. No one in this neighborhood knows what that means. You know, like I'm this, I've got, I've got all these initials. Workout knows what that means. Yeah. Um, plus it's like, if that, like, like the woman with the foam roller who she teaches classes, like, I love it. Like I have a lot of like trainers training with me. I'm like, come on down. If this becomes the secret society where trainers get to sort of unwind off of their local studio issues, like I'm cool with that too. Um, Speaking of issues, this is the thing I think we were really going to talk about. So, folks, if you've been listening to this podcast, uh, on many an episode, you will find uh, the further adventures of Fury is struggling with social media. Um, 
stress, relevance, uh, and I don't mean just me personally in my reach. I mean, just in general, the amount of time in fitness. So Chris and I and, and, and the group were talking about it. And one of the things Chris and I said we would talk about today is just um, the idea of how having a strong social media or the attempt to have a strong social media presence has added probably more stress to coaches' lives with very little return of investment in any way, shape, or form. Um, and this could be, you could completely disagree with me for the sake of at least the start of this conversation. We're going to talk about that. I don't teach courses and, and Chris, which we'll talk about in a bit is planning on building up a course program. I do think there's separate relevance if you are going to be teaching on that way, but from a facility to a facility or, or a coach to coach, um, member reaching thing. The thing that I'm realizing is, and I've said this before, I, I, I don't want to have 10 million followers, although I'd probably be making enough money to just live off of that. What I want to be is the best neighborhood gym, like the best, and this, I've said this, like I want to be the best neighborhood deli that won't have any social media. You just know that that's the place you go to get the best sandwich. I want to be that place for fitness. And Chris and I were talking, uh, what would you say some of the reasons I, I posted a comment in the strength faction vets group with this question of like, why are we doing this? Why are we giving away? The other aspect of this isn't just awareness, giving away way too much free stuff, I think for most of us. Um, so from a business owner um, and as a coach, what do you think? Why do you think we were all starting to do all this social media stuff? Where, why do you think that's starting from a trainer level? Let's start from a trainer level and then we'll go to a level. I mean, part of it is what you talked about before with ego. Everybody wants to have all these followers and be well-known on whatever, whatever the platform is. Um, they want to be seen as the, the go-to person in their gym, in their neighborhood. And the only way to do that, or the only way they've been told to do that is through social media posts and videos. So the, the, the sort of most common answer when I posted that up on the vets forum was, yeah, this, I uh, established expertise, right? The I can see that. The but problem is, does gen population who's seeing that have any idea what's good advice or bad advice? They don't have any context for it. Yeah. So it sort of becomes, like you said, the, the, the ego becomes trainer to trainer in a way of impressing knowledge as opposed to necessarily trainer to potential client or trainer to client it looks like for, for most of the most of the posts that you see are trainers trying to impress other trainers and i don't think they even realize it no part of that i, even, I even realized that when when i started doing it and then one one day i think i i don't know if i was talking to somebody or something or i heard something and i had like like this epiphany. I was like, well, who am I, who's my target audience with these, with these posts? Am I trying to reach other trainers or am I trying to produce more clients for the gym, which is a whole other separate issue that I, I had a conversation with uh, Pete Dupuy about myself creating content versus the, the gym creating content. Um, but yeah, who's, who's your target audience and who are you trying to, to impress? I don't think people most, this might even go all the way back to that fear of losing a client. I don't think a lot of us know what our avatar is. Like, who are we speaking to? 
what's our our niche what's our what's our goal right what are we looking to have out of it and yeah. i think that's like really important and it's something that i struggle with where uh, Okay, if I'm going to keep this out of training, again, not that I teach courses, I'm going to pretend that I don't teach courses. I would say, um, with, if, if courses aren't in there, I'm trying to speak to myself. Um, oddly enough, my avatar is actually female, like a female version of myself. Um, just because I don't consider myself necessarily dudely enough to be speaking to dudes, if that makes sense. Um, You're not part of the bro code? I'm not like bro enough, you know? And... Uh, I probably like uh, tend to be more sensitive. So I, I just, my avatar with like my previous guest, Jen Bartholomew is, is my avatar, right? She's like a, a female version of me. Kim is, Kim is like my avatar. Um, she's just not steeped in the geek culture the way that Jen, Jen and I are. Um, so that would be speaking to the enthusiast version of me before I became a coach, trying to get solid information. Now with that comes the caveat that was, 2010 when I got into kettlebells, I think I started, took my first class in January of 2010. There was not a lot of good information on YouTube at the time. Guess what there is now on YouTube? Tons of high quality information. So do I need to keep resubmitting that information in my voice? That's a part, right? That's something we were talking about doing. Do I even need to do it at all? And I think everyone thinks we have to do it, but within the session, you just need to deliver the session so well and re- long-term results so well that that person tells somebody else. And that one referral will add immediately, even if somebody books one session for say 80 to 100 bucks, that's gonna be more than you're gonna make probably off of like six months of social media posts trying to get one new client. Well, and that's the big thing. You have, you have to create that environment and that experience within the session for the person to refer back to you. Yeah. And it's so that the, if we break this down again, so expertise, and I think that that's a really hard thing to establish. And I know now if we, if we do open up the doors to teaching courses, that does become. I think that's when, when you're just trying to start something, I think that's when social media becomes important. Like I think when, when, we open the gym, I think creating that awareness that we had that expertise um, and creating those relationships were important at the time. Now that we've been there for five and a half years, it's not as important. I don't want this to sound like a slam on a, on a place, but do you think anybody's like checking the experience levels of a coach at an I love kickboxing or an orange theory or at a pure bar? Everybody's checking the experience levels of a coach anywhere they go. So this idea that we're spending all this time to establish our expertise, they're going to go based on your brand, your logo and what you deliver. Right? Like, and that's word of mouth. Like I had no idea what an orange theory fitness was and there ended up being one near Kim's dad's former assisted living place. That's the first time I ever saw the logo. And then I started noticing one open up on 23rd street, like a coming soon and then they're everywhere. So I have no judgment on it, whether it's good or bad. I've heard, you know, mixed on either account, but like suddenly like that's a global brand. And you know what? Like, you know, what doesn't show up in my feed ever orange theory ads, you know, like they're just doing traditional sales stuff. I'm sure they have a marketing campaign, but they've crossed that line into like the, here's the big branding. Now 
you and I for our facilities, we don't need like 30,000 people to sign up like an orange theory probably, you know, needs. Be like what, a couple of hundred, 300, 400 probably would be a good baseline of membership. For me here, if I have 50 people, man, I'm like uh, yeah. crushing it. I think if we had like 150 or 200, we'd be crushing it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, just that, that answer. So yes, establishing expertise, if we're going to do coursework is different. So if you're going to come and take a kettlebell certification, you're going to be a trainer and enthusiast. You're going to have a higher interest in the knowledge. You're probably going to be able to wean out the good from the bad a little bit. And then you're going to go based on like, Oh, I saw Fury did a video that made sense or helped me with my snatch. Cause again, I, I do present my stuff even for trainer levels as an enthusiast, I just know they have a slightly different end goal, whether it's a snatch test or a DVRT clean press test. But I do try to voice it in a way that's like really easily understandable because I'm not that bright. I didn't know what the three movement planes were for the first fucking year of my training. Um, you know, like I'm not that bright. So, you know, this has all been from uh, repetition and assisting. And now, you know, the, the things that I'm good at, I'd say I'm good at. And I think if you wanted to see if somebody is like an expert at something, uh, if you could look at in terms of kettlebell land, in terms of social media, smoke and mirrors, I have enough group photos of courses that I've taught that I would think like that would be better, uh, uh, more proof than if I showed another hinge video. Not saying I'm not going to do another hinge video, but like, I, I think you'd be like, okay, I've like literally, you know, done enough a way to establish local expertise, if not, you know, at best. So if you're in Brooklyn in South Slope Gowanus and you want to learn kettlebells, you should come to me. Like, I'll just say it. Not that I'm the only one here, but I'd say I probably have a higher level of experience than most other people. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mean that in an ego way. I mean that like the, the facts would prove that. Like you could actually trace how many courses I've been available to versus some sort of false sense of popularity on social media. Because otherwise you really don't know. Uh, and folks, if you question this, like trainers, look up just like hashtag fitness inspiration on Instagram and see all the softcore porn that comes up. Like they have more followers. They're not doing anything but showing body shots. So level of expertise into, you know. The followers and likes, it doesn't translate. Yeah, it just doesn't. You almost have to ignore it at a certain point. Yeah. So it, it, it's for me, I'm trying and, and I, I almost feel like we're going to have, have to have a follow up. I'm, I'm reading this or listening to this book, 10 arguments for deleting your social media. And I don't think I would ever do it all, but I think we can all say uh, not just from the time and the stress of creating content. And again, content is such like we should be creating cool stuff, not just content for the sake of having a post. Um, if we could just take that time out of our day, and maybe that is like where we've been struggling to find time to work out. We do it there. Struggling to find time to read or listen to something. Do it there. Struggling to like meal prep or hug our kids. Do it there as opposed to trying to have some sort of content schedule. Do you think like, uh, would you see if, if, say I'm a coach at your gym, I've been stressing myself out to put out posts three to five days a week. Do you think if I deleted my account, that would have a, a, a significant negative impact on the day-to-day -day of my clients training at your place? No. Do you think it would have a negative impact on my paycheck? No. Unless you were paying me to create content. Unless I was creating you to pay content, and then that's a different story. But uh, probably not.
Yeah, I feel like we've created this false expectation or demand upon ourselves that this is part of it. And I know for the groups that I teach for guys, like I get it. I, I, I do need to step up as a representative for these brands to show, to help get awareness to it. it it's an advertising thing outside of myself or Fury Industries. So I, I'm sort of trying to keep this separate. But what I see is a lot of coaches spending a lot of time creating content, giving away a lot of free shit that they've paid thousands of dollars to go to courses for that they expect their clients long-term to pay thousands of dollars for. And they're spending their time just giving it away for free. And I don't think they know who it's helping. And I think it's actually probably hurting them and their business more than it's helping anything. Yeah. And probably not bringing in as much as they think. If anything, I really don't know if anything, you know, like we were talking, so Kirk, we were talking, Kirk Adams has been doing a great job of establishing himself in the golf community. Like, He's been doing a lot of social media content, instructional stuff, but he's also been getting involved with other golf organizations. And we know Kirk wants to move towards education in that way. So that makes total sense. If he were going to be opening up a golf gym, not just doing solo Kirk Adams social media, but also the way he's been working with other organizations is a great way to set up expertise. But for me to just do fucking handheld videos or drop a camera on the floor and shoot a video all the time, thinking somehow that's going to, bring me people i just feel like we could all be doing something better and i'm not just talking myself i'm trying to i'm trying to stand up for us as, a, as an industry folks um on this one uh i don't think it brings a shitload of money i think the online coaching market is a big bloated lie in a big way um in a lot of ways that that path to success there which would be the other reason we would do online videos yeah i, I think you have to teach courses to sort of make that crossover or you're just going to end up with the same people you have online. You know what I mean? Like every, every woman that I know, uh, the, a few of the most successful online coaches that I know that do like one-on-one -on -one type training online or have like some sort of like, you know, a uh, monthly thing. Uh, I don't know if Artemis is still doing it. Beth Andrews. Um, you know, I would say I would throw Karen Smith in there cause I've come across a lot of people that have trained with Karen online. Like, the way that they get do well online training is because they've taught courses and created their own rep, you know, gotten the word out that way. And then the blogs and stuff helps, but they had that education thing first. I don't see a lot of people just coming up from a gym that doesn't have a heavy external education component to it. Where suddenly a ton of people know who they are, that they're going to train online yeah. until, until they find their niche and they market that smaller group. Well, it almost goes back to word of mouth. Also, like you need that reputation before you can see it grow and before it even makes sense to put so much effort into social media. Yeah. And, and even the, you know, the online training thing, you know, most people that talk about one of the things we've talked about, I know Wes wrote a blog about this is like new coaches come up in year one of training and they want to have like online coaching. I'm like, you should really just focus on training people in person and get that really dialed because communication and online coaching needs to be so super clear because there's no room to, uh, you don't want to have to re-explain everything. Whereas if you and I are training and I do say, I say something a little confusing, you can be like, can you make more sense of that? We can do that in a moment versus three emails back and forth. Um, and I've had some success with that and I've had some fails, but I've learned from it. But this idea is like, you know, that it's going to be this revenue stream that you can leave your gym and go away from. It, or, or that it's easy. It is a lot of work. And, you know, most people end up with like, you know, maybe one to four people from the gym that they used to work at or that left the gym, um, you know, and want to keep training in some capacity. 
that's usually what online coaching is for most people. You know, for me, I'm, I'm super excited about my online crew. Uh, again, I don't let it hit over 15 people. It generally floats around 10. I think that's like actually probably, I didn't realize this when I started this podcast. Uh, I'd say that that's probably a fairly successful for one guy to have uh, a personalized one-on-one -on -one online style programming thing. 10 um, is your sweet spot. What was that? 10 is your sweet spot. I'd say like 10 is, 15 is like max, where I'll start to feel some stress over it. Um, 10 is like, you know, it's a decent amount of money coming in and I'm able to really do right by those people without getting lost in catching up with like a ton of random emails. When it's 15, it, it, it does become more challenging. And, you know, from a systems approach, from a check-in approach, you know, it's not, none of these people are plug and play. It's, it's sort of not like, um, it's not a, where everyone's getting the same program, like Strength Faction. It's like everyone's getting a somewhat, you know, there's overlaps, but tailored to what they have access to, what their interests are, all that stuff. So it's a little bit more in, in depth. And uh, so my exercise library, you know, I've got a lot of, you know, kettlebell stuff, obviously, but also like a pretty deep ultimate sandbag part, a pretty deep original strength part. So, you know, Indian clubs, they're getting, they're getting what they want from me. Um, but once it goes over this idea, like once it starts to hit like that 16th person, I feel like I'm dropping balls left and right. Yeah. And it's, you know, as much as I try to streamline systems and try to have everybody respond on the same thread throughout every month, like it'll be like, you know, so-and-so's online training thread, all feedback should happen there. I still get people texting me. I get people emailing me. I get separate email threads. So suddenly if I have 15 people and they're all sending me different forms of communication, I could have like 60 different things I need to follow up on scattered throughout all of these social medias and, you know, ways of connecting versus having this thread to follow. And that's, that's where when it hits more people, that's stressful. It also becomes like a billing thing. Like I auto bill, but in the online of train, you know, coaching business, like some people don't start right away. Some people go on a break. So this four week program goes into five weeks and I've been dealing with that and getting better at it. But it's also like you haven't billed and now you want, you know, you haven't paid and now you want your program in a day. But I told you, you're supposed to tell me on the going into this week that, you know, this last week is when you knew you need your new program so that it's ready to go when this one ends. And it just gets ugly, it gets a little messy. And I'm constantly trying to find that's the part of my systems that I'm trying to smooth out. But so 10 is like, we're, we're smooth, we're comfortable. 15 is like, this is it. This is the crew. I'm not taking anybody on. <laughs> outside of this. Well, um, how did you establish that? What was that? How did you establish getting... I, I, hit a, I, I hit a point when I left MFF that I actually had over 16 people and I didn't feel like I was doing a great job by them. I just felt like I was like not getting programs out quick enough. I wasn't responding to emails and what I thought was appropriate because I was also bouncing around the city trying to do sessions and stuff where I was like, you know, I, I just couldn't be on my phone. And... I realized how much time I was sitting at a desk wasn't fun either. And I missed being in a room with somebody. My, my idea, my business model, what I wanted to be and do when I left MFF has changed probably like two significant ways from that initial thing. When I left MFF, I wanted to actually train in person less, maybe 10 hours a week total whether that was, you know, bouncing around locations a little bit at a higher rate or being a catalyst or training here in Brooklyn. I knew I wanted to do more in Brooklyn and I knew that I wanted to really build my online coaching. One of the reasons is because I do travel to teach a lot 
I didn't want to like lose money while I was teaching. Cause if I'm like doing one-on-ones and then I go to, you know, Japan for two weeks, that's all, well, that's all gone. So whatever money I'm making, I also have to offset the money that's not happening here. Right. Um, and then the online coaching thing really hit me that like, I don't love doing this much, especially while bouncing around. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start to try to build uh, a local class program in Brooklyn uh, at, a, at a gym that is now closed. I didn't shut it down. <laughs> and <laughs> I also made the decision with that, that I didn't want to travel around the city bouncing around as much because I was spending like anywhere from three and a half to five hours a day commuting three days a week for, you know, like it doesn't pan out if it's only for like a, a couple of hundred bucks. I know that sounds like I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of people would work fucking travel far for 200 bucks, but if I could potentially make that here, um, my stress level, my dealing with, it was largely dealing with the MTA. And, and at, at the, this point, like the MTA in New York was particularly bad. Um, so I realized I wanted to do more locally in Brooklyn. I wanted to travel less. So I started building up a class program, which I was hoping would introduce me to do people for either semi-private training or private training. Then the gym closed. And then I went through hustling around trying to find spaces I've talked about on the show. And then ultimately Kim was like, you should just try to do it here. And, and, and my goal is to do it here. So I do lose money where I won't go in the city certain days or hours because I have classes that might only have one person in it or nobody in it, but I have to be available. Um, but my quality of life in terms of my work schedule and, 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 and a, a structure are there. I just need more members to fill it out. And I don't think I'm unrealistic about that. But those have been the big shifts that have been both financial and quality of life. And I don't, my quality of life, folks, I'm not talking like financial quality of life. I'm actually talking about like how happy I am day to day. Quality of life. Yeah, uh, the output of what I do. Um, I don't want to be rich. I have, I, I would like to have my, I would like to be out of debt. I would like to know that my kids can go to college relatively stress-free um, and that Kim and I could go on vacations. And like when we do retire and get old and that we're like, have the money to support ourselves. But I don't need like 10 million bucks. A million would be nice. But you know, I, I know my means, right? Like I'm a simpleton in that way. Uh, as long as I have like money to take care of some shit, get some tattoos and get some toys. And you know, the, for myself, and take care of the family as the, as the priorities, then, then I'm in a good spot. So I have that. But I think we get lost on a lot of that because again, I was chasing dollars, traveling around, bouncing around the city that a lot of us do. That's a hard life. I mean, it's not like digging ditches and shit or working in a mine, but it's stressful in another way. Um, the time constraint is stressful. Oof. And then like, you know, nothing's where I can't tell you how many, like literally thousands of dollars the MTA cost me uh, in 2016 into through 2017. Oh, I'm sure a, a ton. By just missing sessions that I'm like, guys, I, there's no way. And I can't reschedule cause I have to be at this place after. So it's just lost money. Um, and then like, uh, this is going to sound like, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to sound a little fragile myself. Like you have three sessions, three locations, and it's pouring rain out. That sucks. Like it just sucks. You know, it's like I, I have, and then you also have to mentally be fresh for somebody. And it's like, it might seem like you only work three hours and you're coming back to Brooklyn for the evening, but it's been three hours with three hours of travel. So it's been a six hour day already. And you try to be productive on those train rides, but I'm, I'm not, I never feel comfortable pulling my laptop out really and doing that stuff. Um, let's go into social media a little bit more. <laughs> let's, let's pick this up. Those, those 15 people that you had online training, 
you got through no social media for the most part? I got through awareness of so social media. This was different. So if, if we break into how my name got out, um, I assisted a lot. I was fortunate to be at five points Academy that was hosting a lot of events and I got involved in helping to host and set up some of those things with Steve Millis. Um, and I assisted a lot. That was like kind of my education. So I would try to assist at every HKC or SFG user course or RKC or SFG course that would come through. Um, because that's how I was learning. So if, you know, if, uh, Phil Scarito, if I had a research in front of Phil Scarito or Brett Jones or Phil Ross or, Thomas Phillips or whoever it might be, right? Doug Knapp at all. I got to meet all these people that I looked up to because I had heard from them, not from their social media. I've heard from them from seeing that they taught at these courses and people that have learned from them, right? So it's already like, it's weird how in the last eight years, it's actually been social media has been a bigger thing. Yeah. So well, even it wasn't anything when I first started. Yeah. So through assisting and doing a good job assisting, you know, every course would have anywhere from 10 to 30 people on a team that I would interact with. So other trainers and enthusiasts going through these courses got to know me and I built up a reputation that way, like a level of expertise. If we talk about that expertise sounds a little like highfalutin, but like I built up a solid reputation through that. And then I wrote a blog. I wrote a, a post on a forum for dragon uh, for, for the RKC that before the split Pavel uh, congratulated me on and asked me to write an article and it was about pressing how I passed my press and I wrote that and that was my first article for Dragon Door and that went out and really hit a lot of people and then people started reaching out to me for online coaching through that just to help with their press and then it started like can you help me with my snatch test and so there'd be like elements of that so I've been doing components of online coaching since 2011 2012 but I never actively pursued it as a marketing thing too directly until I was getting ready to leave MFF. Okay. And, you know, through that, that led to me getting into more workshops. Eventually, you know, I became a master instructor for uh, Josh Henkin and I had been writing some videos for them, uh, writing some blogs for them. And then Facebook sort of took over where it went from writing blogs and articles to just making posts. And, you know, I just think, you know, from a, I, I'm somewhat of a, a, a decent sized Gary Vaynerchuk fan. I, I don't necessarily believe it fits in. I don't want to say I don't believe in what he does. Some of it, I don't believe it fits into how I want my life to be the element of hustle and workload. Um, yeah. Which he'll also say like, this isn't for everybody on this thing. It's definitely not. And it, I've, I've mentioned that before, like just being busy for busy sake. Hustle porn is just not great. Like that whole, like, showing off by how, how hard we're working all the time. Somewhere there's your, your kid is bumming out. No matter how nice your car is or how nice that one vacation is, somewhere your kid's just like, could you just fucking sit with me on the couch for an extra hour? Like, I really believe that. So I forgot where I was going with this. Oh yeah, so you know, it became this idea of just creating all these things versus having blogs or articles. And I think blogs or articles are probably still the better way to go especially if how like Kirk is doing his videos with other groups. I think that's still submitting material, whether it's, you know, bodybuilding.com, Dragon Door, DVRT Ultimate Sandbag Training. I think there's a potential for that to resonate. The problem is there is so much information out there now that you can't stay on top of it. Like how many fitness blogs outside of Strength Faction have you actually do you actually see show up in your feed a week? How many of them do you actually click and read from top to bottom? Um, 
I mean, it depends on where it's coming from. Probably five, maybe. And, and what would the average be that you think show up in your feed throughout the week? Way more than that. Right? But, probably like, I would say probably see like 20 to 30. Yeah. So and it, depends, it depends on the coach that's putting it out too. So, so if I, if it's somebody that I'm friends with, I'll, I'll read it. Um, if it's something random, then I probably won't. Well, let's talk about this, right? So I think this is an important thing. If it's a friend of yours and you'll read it, where did you make that initial connection with the friend at an event through a group or through just their random social media posts? Um, probably either an event or a group, I would say. And see, that's what I'm talking or, about. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably that that's kind of what I think we're missing to some degree is we're trying to establish this buy-in by just putting things out as opposed to going in like how we meet people. Right. So like I'm an example of somebody that I I'm friends with or that I have talked to sharing somebody else's content. What was that? So if it's somebody that I've met, it, it ends up boiling down to somebody that I've either met at like an event or through a group or somebody that I've written for before and they share something else. Yeah. But again, that, that still boils down to that one person. Yeah. And, and I think that connection there where I may not have met or talked to the person whose blog it is or whose content it is or whatever, but the person that made me aware of it, I have that connection with. Yeah. So it's like, you know, and I'll also say, you know, one of the things that does help, is if, you know, I know that when I was assisting, say I was assisting at an RKC and help somebody out with a tip or just, you know, we had a good team and someone posts on Facebook, like had a great time, big thanks to, you know, say, uh, you know, there was a, uh, Amanda Clark and I, we assisted John Hines at one of the last uh, RKCs before the split, or maybe it was during the split. I don't think Strong First had been announced yet. And, you know, people were like, oh, that was fucking great. And, you know, a couple of nice Facebook posts about us. And I think that helps establish. Um, but just to start talking about kettlebells without having those interactions with people or just your gym is hard. Yeah. I'd say MFF is probably a, a somewhat very rare exception to this because their videos were so unique um, that they're entertaining outside of the information. And then the information's valid to back it up, right? Like, I don't know if MFF videos, if they didn't have good information, if they would still be as valid as they are today. It's the fact that they're that perfect combination of smart stuff and hilarious stuff that's very, you know, uh, genuine and authentic are like words that are thrown around a lot. But truly, I think in fitness, if you're in our sort of level of fitness, you know that that is sort of a very big center point of where a lot of people are trying to be. Um, but for the most part, I don't know. It doesn't seem to do much. Um, I think we could spend less time, less stress. I don't want this to be sound. Folks, I'm hoping this is constructive. I don't want this to be shitting on the industry or shitting on creating social media. I just, I think I'm, I'm literally trying to hopefully liberate myself by talking these points out and maybe uh, help you out in that same process. What's your outcome goal? My outcome goal is like, quite frankly, I would like to, uh, if I can, I love this podcast. So somebody could also, we had this conversation at the dinner. Somebody yeah. be like, yeah, Fury, you're saying you hate social media. You're putting out a podcast. Um, the podcast I, is fun though. This is creating, this it's, is art for me. This is super, super fun for me. It has literally 
changed the way I think about things. It's changed the way I suddenly will find myself delivering certain elements of course, it, using a different verbiage with a different take on it because of talking to folks like you, Chris. Um, it has opened my eyes. It's changed my business. This thing with social media, this all started up on the Becky Cody episode way back, um, has been huge for me. It's something I really struggle. So I would love for this podcast to get to the reach where I can ask for a guest and they'll come on. I would love to get to the point where I could buy uh, a better equipment or even rent a studio space where it's soundproofed and everything's beautiful and I can get a mixer and, and, and travel to or have people come over more often. I would love for this show to do well enough that I could get some sponsorships and make this a, a source of income. I don't expect that to ever happen. I'm going to keep doing it because sort of like a mental health aspect of me um, in the land of social media um, and, uh, you know, putting things out there. This is just super rewarding to me. Here's the downside of this. I think a lot of people are, in fitness are starting to think like, just like they do with social media videos, that creating a podcast is going to be the big money game for them. And yeah. I think that's fucking just not well, the case. The next rabbit hole. First, there was blog posts and you had to write in order to be seen as relevant. And then you had to make a Facebook post and then you had to make an Instagram video. And then you had to make an Instagram story. And somewhere along the line, like Twitter got completely irrelevant. I just um, never was able to. It's funny, for celebrities, Twitter is super relevant. I've never, for, for us, I think it's, I think it's the, the, the limitations don't work so well for fitness. Yeah, I, I'm mostly on there just to follow non-fitness things. Yeah. Half of the stuff that I follow on Twitter are all like sports-related. Yeah. That's, that's about it. Um, but yeah, it becomes that that thing. Like, what is the next? What is the next big thing that you quote unquote have to do? And it's bullshit because you don't have to do anything. If one, if you don't enjoy it, don't fucking do it. Um, you don't have to do anything. Like, you really don't have to do anything that you don't want to do or that you're not good at. Yeah. I, it... Like I'm shout that to the skies, Chris. <laughs> That is such a, a great way of saying it. I, I I do videos, but if you notice in my videos, I there are probably a handful of them where I'm actually talking through everything because I fucking hate talking. Um, I'm a better writer than I am speaker, which is completely goes against the fact that I want to start teaching more. Um, <laughs> tell me how those things are related. Uh, but yeah, like on, on video, like I don't want to hear myself talk. I just want to make the point, get the point across of, of what you should be doing or what seems like a, something that you're capable of. So the last, the last string of videos that I did were all basic movements that anybody could do. And I was like, and my reach was to people that don't think they are able to do anything. Yeah. No, there's, there's stuff you can do if you have, if you have some sort of injury or some sort of limitation and that, that's within the gym itself. That's my avatar is, is post rehab or, or anything like that. Um, and there's always something that you can do. There's yeah. never nothing that you, there are limitations. Yes, but there's always something you can do. And it's yeah. a matter of finding out what, you can do yeah like with your mom your mom 
couldn't do a lot of variations of a squat, but we found one that worked. And we yeah. found a position that worked. And we we hammered the shit out of it. Yeah, it's it's it, and again for the listeners, the the stuff that he's doing, like Chris has a purpose behind it, as opposed to just getting it out or to make money off of it. And I think that's where it's become a job role. And yeah, that we think we just somehow this is going to make us money. And we have to do it. It's not, and it, I mean, I enjoy it just for the sake of part of what I enjoy is education. Yeah, and whether that's educating trainers or educating clients i think that's that's been a, one of my my value sets yeah i'll see something that shows up either in class or at a course and and those are my favorite videos that i've put out like there, there were the last couple of dvrt ones were a little bit longer form because again i got caught up in the whole like well it's got to be 60 seconds for this and then maybe two minutes for that and i just was like fuck i'm done i don't want to do multiple versions of things so i'm just like you know what i'm going to set up the camera i'm going to talk I'm going to try it. I do have a light. I do have a mic. I try to make sure I'm heard. Um, you know, I do want to have a decent amount of quality. Uh, coaches, fucking trim the walk away from the camera before you post it. I mean, just stop wasting time. Don't, 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 you don't. It literally, if you hit edit and trim, you just have to slide the little thing over so we don't see you walking away from the camera. It doesn't look great, and, and we can all stop with the handheld selfie motivational things. Um, like, take a moment to, like, lock down the camera and, and talk. Like, so, again, the favorite videos that have a purpose. Like, I've seen people struggle with, um, for example, like, what handles that we use on an ultimate sandbag for most of the moves. So I shot a little slightly longer form version of that. Or how does this translate into a swing or, or something, right? Um, because I see a problem that it's directly solving as opposed to just putting it out to like, look what I do, look what we do. I, I don't necessarily, I struggle with that personally. It might just be uh, my, my personality. Um, no, I think that's, that's fair. It, it should have a purpose. If there's no purpose to it, it's just, if there's no purpose for it, that's when it becomes feeding your own ego. Yeah. It's, it's well, just for posting sake because you feel that you need to post or that you just that you're chasing likes or clicks or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we mentioned this at dinner too. So Jason and Lauren pack, um, fairly new parents. Hey guys, miss you. Um, they have invested so much quality time in their social media and it has blown up, right? They get like in the twenties of thousands, I think at this point, um, you know, views of their videos, it has a really nice slick production quality and it's, it's, it's solid content and it's delivered in a, a, a very specific for social media form. They normally show up in my Instagram feed and they're perfect for, for Instagram. And when they were on the show, it was like, you know, it, it, they admitted it took over a year or around a year before like a person really walked in the door because of the social media. Now, Jason and Lauren are strong first team leaders. Like there's an, a, a, a reason for them to have that level of outside presence in terms of expertise as well. What comes back to teaching? Like there's another yeah. element there. There's yeah. that second element of why they're doing it and what their intent is. Yeah. Uh, and so when doing it for doing it, say there's a reason. And for the, for the podcasters, like, here's the thing, because I, you know, I've heard people complain about how there's so many podcasts out now and how do we do the blah, blah, blah. Like I get it. Um, I'll say this. If you want to listen to 
the best, most respected fitness podcast, go to the FitCast. Go, go listen to Kevin's show. He's the one who started it all, and that's what it's about. Um, Strength Faction is awesome. You know, Casey's, there's a lot of great ones out there. But, you know, I, I'll say this, like talking about like goals, right? All of this. I met Kevin at that same event I met KCAL at too. <laughs> Kevin's awesome. Like the, the goal of this show wasn't to be the fit cast and it wasn't meant to be a pure fitness show. It was meant to be like you and, and I just went. Very cast of just yeah, hopping on the, and chatting with people you like to talk to. The goal of this show is to be you and I just taught, say you and I just co-taught a cert together. This is how we would hang out after the cert. Talk a bit about fitness, what's going on in your life, what's going on in business, and then the other shit. Which is the um, most important part of any workshop is what happens after the workshop. Yeah, but also so that they get to know you outside of just like how you do a hinge. Like yeah, they get to know you as a personality. And, and I think that's important. So that was the thing that I wanted on this show. I always missed in, in, in the old skate videos or, you know, I remember the Red Hot Chili Peppers put out a documentary before Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out called Funky Monks. And it's just like, what are these people like when they're not showing you the hinge video? right? Like getting to spend time with a person, a skater, a rock star behind the scenes. And that's what I wanted this show to be. And then I'll admit for the first year of it, it was too much focused on fitness in my opinion. And uh, so I've made a very dramatic change to like have more, here's just a music episode. Here's just an art or toy episode. Here's just, so, you know, maybe a little bit of everything, but the focus is, you know, we're not even talking much about fitness specifically. We're talking about social media largely within the fitness context. Um, so I'm hoping that's a motivator. And Jamie, uh, again, Jamie Hunter from Australia, who is going to get on this show, um, you know, noticed it and thanked me. But I'm also thinking I'm probably going to lose some people. Now, folks, like here's the thing. If, if you want to generate a podcast, if you're viewing this as a source of income, uh, I just want to say I, this show takes about three to four hours a week for me. Um, that's including from like the moment I start trying to set up Chris to hop on the show to having this call to editing the episode to you know, titling the artwork to doing the show notes to getting it out, probably three to four hours an episode, I make $6 an episode. So for all that time and money that that's coming in, um, I could do one session and make more <laughs> than I do in four months of this podcast. To my to my patrons, Victor, Julian, Brian and James, I fucking love you guys. Uh, so I don't want this to sound like I'm talking down on it, but like, you know, I spend a lot of time putting the show together. I would not do this if I thought this was a revenue stream. I do this. I fucking love it, man. I love Chris that we just had this conversation. I love it. Um, I love having my eyes open when you say something in a way or somebody else says something in a way that I'm like, I've never even thought of putting those words together to express this. Um, and the fact that somebody else might get something out of that, Awesome. I do hope, and the main reason why I would love to see this show grow is like, I would love to see that. Maybe that brings you people to your course when it comes out, right? Like, I don't know. Um, but in terms of a pure revenue stream, so yes. Would I love for this to be a revenue stream? Yes. Do I think that's going to happen? No. Will I still continue to do it? Yes. And I think if you look at a lot of the podcasts out there, you'll see a lot of the fitness ones, like I'm sure in any other genre, they come and go. You know, they hit like maybe 30 to 60 episodes. Um, I'm probably in that bubble where a lot of people might fade off or they become incredibly inconsistent. Um, you know, Glenn and I have taken two weeks off while I was away and that's been it um, since the show started. 
but man, if you're just doing it because you think it's a fitnessy thing to do or it's going to make you money, you're fucked. Like you have to love it. You don't make art. You don't paint. You don't become a painter because you think you're going to make money because Picasso was, you know, made money. It just doesn't work that way. Um, love. Yeah. Same thing with training. It's just like training. It's a business. And we have to remind ourselves that we can, we can always run our businesses better and make that a thing, right? Like there has to be a means to, for survival at some point. Um, you know, if I was trying to do this podcast and nothing else, I don't know, you know, I'd probably be like a waiter somewhere or something. Like if I was just somebody trying to be you know, a podcaster. Um, but that said, the other reason if this show grows is I would love to get like some, some uh, higher level guests on. Not to say that anybody's been a lower level guest, but I would love to have Henry Rollins on this show. I'd love to have Joe Rogan on this show. I'd love to have Chris Hardwick on this show. I was shut down very politely. What was that? the last podcast you said Stallone yeah I would love to have Stallone on this show he would be my top right now if I could get uh if anybody knows Sylvester Stallone I've been going I just rewatched in the last episode I talked about the Rocky deep dive we did with the family that led me into doing a solo first blood Rambo uh review of everything uh and, and then like actually tracking down part of you know more about his career and his movies and what he's directed and I would love 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 to talk to that guy um so if anybody knows him hook me up, but I would love to have like a little bit of sway that that doesn't just look like I'm sucking free time out of somebody's life. Right. Um, friends, it's different. We're having a good conversation. Uh, but I would love that. I was politely, very politely, respectfully, uh, shut down by, uh, one of my skateboarding legends, Mike Bailey. And that definitely, um, set me back a little bit. I did reach out to, uh, one of the cast of monster squad and, and never heard back. Um, so like I, I've been gun shy about trying to take the shots because I don't even know if people are running their own social medias, you know, like in terms of content. So if we got bigger, I would love to have that happen. But that said, I've really been so stoked having the people that have been on. Like uh, I haven't had a disappointing episode other than sound quality. Um, I don't know if any are viewed as more popular or not. Like I know certain ones, like some of the like like, like Fisher and the Cavadlos. Um, have bigger outward presences. Uh, so those episodes tend to have more plays. Everything else actually tends to be around the same number of people. And I see how it builds over time. So that means no matter if you were like a Josh Hankin or somebody you haven't heard of, they balance out over time. And I think that's really fucking cool. That means somebody's hearing somebody, one of my friends um, or somebody that I just met really getting to know them. Um, but in terms of like a job expectation or like a, a, a financial mining, man, there's so much like train people, be your best neighborhood gym. That's it do so much more with your time if you were looking for a financial reason to do it yeah that said if anybody wants to donate to the coach fury podcast visit patreon.com slash coach fury <laughs> podcast that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash uh coach fury podcast but here's the reality and i don't want any of my listeners to feel guilty about this but maybe you'll take a moment the reality is this if you're looking as a pod potential to create a podcast to make money off of it i'm going to say this so say this show averages, uh, for the first like six to eight months of an episode's out, it averages about 250 listeners. Like it slowly builds over time. And then the backlogs, I think people catch in and start to fill in the blanks of who they haven't heard yet, right? So the, it starts to build from the bottom up. Again, I have four patrons, I make $6 an episode. So that means there's 200 and say 45 minimum people that aren't donating, 46 people that aren't donating. Uh, I have asked people to just take the moment to click a five-star rating, which would actually help 
other people hear each other on the show. I have like 39 ratings. I'm super grateful for all of them, but that means there's over 220 other, you know, or I'm doing horrible math, 210 other people <laughs> yeah. that haven't. And I don't even ask everybody to do it. I ask if you've listened to three. So, you know, folks, uh, again, this isn't a guilt. This is actually, I'm, I'm talking to somebody that's like, I need to do a fitness podcast or a podcast to make money. Just know that that means like I have delivered uh, say if somebody listens to at least three episodes, I've done nine to 12 hours of hard work on that. They've listened to, uh, in probably anywhere from three and a half to four and a half hours of content, things that I've created. Um, if I use content as a generic term and, and not taking the moment to click five stars, right? So I'm not shaming anybody. I'm just saying, if you really think about what's this return of investment going to be, you got to do it because you want to do it. Um, you're setting a realistic expectation for people. Yeah. So again, you might be fucking great. And I have no idea, you know, we were talking like, you know, how well Kevin did or not on the podcast. And when he launched the network, um, you know, it's a struggle, you know, and even if on the big names, like the Nerdist, which is now ID 10 and, and Rogan, like they weren't successful out the gate. It took years to build the audiences, but they already had names too, which I don't fit. Most coaches don't. You know, any name I have as an as you coach. Know, how long it took Kevin to, to get He's been doing it over 10 years, yeah. you know, so that's hard earned success. And even he's been going through, you know, been mentioning like, um, you know, he's been going through a transition phase now because there's just more of us out here and I, I might be part of the problem. I'm sorry if I am Kevin, but, uh, you know, again, uh, I have, if you listen to the first, I think five to 10 episodes, I'm always telling people to go check out the FitCast. Kevin's a perfect example. Like his podcast, how many people listen to that podcast turns into members coming into ally strength. How many do you think? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. You know, and if, if, you know, it, it's, 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 it's almost a different market. It's that whole thing. So, uh, we'll have to do a catch up on this topic again, uh, later after I read this book, uh, finish, finish, finish listening to this book, 10 arguments against deleting your social media. I know I'm not going to delete all of it. I want to keep the names. A lot of why I have all these accounts are because I want to keep the names. Um, I already lost coach fury randomly through Instagram, uh, to somebody else. And that becomes like a whole thing. Um, so I, reputation up what was that? You need to keep the reputation up there and going. <sighs> yeah, but for my coursework, but here's the thing for my coursework. Yeah. If I was just focusing on Fury Industries with no outward online coaching business or coursework, I would not give much of a fuck about social media at all from a business perspective. It would solely be based on uh, friends and family, which is, is the beautiful part of it. It's the business aspect, that outward reach business aspect. I would have a private Facebook group like I do for my members and most of the content, things that I, tips, advice that I create, I would, I would do for, to benefit solely them. Uh, and I think a lot of what I put out still has the Fury crew in mind. Um, but if I didn't have outward reach of teaching courses, I, I wouldn't care about that. I would want to be the, the, your best neighborhood deli isn't doing continuing ad. They don't care. They're, maybe they, they're probably not even putting ads in the local penny saver. You just know that's where you go. That's the best yeah. Right. So that's kind of where I think I would want to be. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be a trendy business. I want to be, you know, the fury business. Um, so that, that's my dilemma is that I do have to have this professional aspect and I want the show to grow and my courses to fill. Um, because I know I can help people through this stuff. 
but from the Fury Industries things, I want that to be more from handshakes and hellos and, and, and less from, I did a, a sexy Instagram ad. Not that I've ever done a sexy Instagram ad. Yeah. A, nerdy, a nerdy Instagram ad. I have actually, here's the thing I was talking about with Kim the other day. Uh, finding somebody that's like a really high profile Instagrammer with like a ton of things and spending a year of recreating as many of those photos as myself as I can uh, in like the Fury Industries Brooklyn area. Uh, but then I'm like, that's a whole lot of time for a joke that I just don't feel like investing in. <laughs> yeah. Then I thought about like- One hell of a joke though. <laughs> it really would, but uh, you don't want to see me making the duck face or having ass implants for a year. It's um, all about the pose. You got to put the right pose on this is true. Uh, and then I also had the idea of, like, you know, the next time I travel to Asia, I should take like a quick selfie as I'm going to go back to my seat in first class and create this expectation that I've been in first class for all these flights. <laughs> and then let everybody know that I'm usually like two rows away from the toilet at the back of the plane. Like I am, a, I'm not even premium economy. I am economy all the way. Um, so to also sort of blow up some of this like glamorous life, I, I love what I do and what I get to do. But I think a lot of people think podcasts and workshops equals like, you know, grand success. I love teaching. It's just like the courses. If I didn't love sharing this stuff and being in front of a room and teaching people, which is something I, I didn't think I would ever do. Uh, I generally run shy. That sounds odd as a guy who's been open on a podcast. Um, digital wall makes me this is my safe space. Um, I, I, you know, workshops are a lot of work. Uh, you know, but I love getting to meet people and, and, and teach and share. But again, I would make more money just building up a gym business if I focused on it, doing more personal training or building a semi-private training routine. You do what you love. You do it every day. You know what I mean? Like, whereas courses, you get good paychecks, but you're doing them maybe like, you know, I think I did 18 courses last year, um, which is a lot, which is a lot of extra weekends away from home, you know? Um, Speaking of, we've been on for a while. So I think we're going to pick this up as a part two sooner than later. We'll talk about that if you're cool with that. Yeah. And we're gonna, I'm going to finish this book. Maybe we'll do Chris Cooper part two in the new year. You, you think we can hop on the phone next week? Um, should be able to. We'll figure it out we'll before next out. Monday, right? I want to pick up the social media thing a little bit. I hope I didn't beat everybody over the head too much with this. And I really do hope this is constructive and not destructive. Uh, or unless maybe it's destroying the false expectation that this is going to make your shit ton of money. That's probably a better route to go. Yeah. Uh, um, and then I destroy some of those, those myths and made up demands. Yeah. I think there's just a lot, you know, fitness is such a weird industry, man. I love it so deeply, but then, you know, well, I a whole rant about the expectation and demand that you need to do continuing education. That's a whole other rabbit hole that you can go down. The fact that that should immediately equate, well, this has, that's a whole other thing. Let's talk about that in the next one because that is another one that, you know, I sometimes feel like I'm part of the problem, although I thousand percent believe in the systems I teach for. So that I love it, but I see people who come into these things sometimes just looking to collect, you know, initials so that they can get up the next tier at their big box gym to get a higher paycheck versus just being a better coach. Exactly. And I've seen coaches spend thousands of dollars, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars trying to elevate themselves without actually having the practical application time to, to implement. Or um, just doing what's trendy. Yes. 
So, I mean, that's come up. We, we should talk about that as well. But then we should also talk about that in the context of how you're starting to grow towards your creating programming um, curriculum on your own. So let's table that for the next one because we've been fucking talking almost two hours. This is going to be almost the, this is going to be the top five longest episodes for the guy who didn't like to talk much. Yeah, we'll <laughs> um, figure that one out. But since I, you just said digital wall makes it way easier. Well, I'll say this too, though. I remember from like before I knew you, knew you, like on the earlier Strength Faction Q and A's, you were way quieter. Kate Cal too, right? She said that on this show. Way well, I quieter. I, I lurked for like the first semester and a half, probably the first two semesters. I just kind of lurked and kind of just absorbed it, and kind of hit my stride in the middle of that that summer session. Yeah, it's 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 about growth, right? Um, and, and I think that's one of the other to bring it full circle into strength faction land. It, it really the group su supports growth as opposed to just trend. Um, it's sustainable growth, sustainable professional and personal life. Um, I can't think like every time I get like an auto payment, I'm like that's largely because of strength faction and, and and a solid dose of MFF and business for unicorns. The fact that while I was away, I got my online programming out. I was able to like have someone cover my classes and still get paid. It's fucking, I've never had that before. This was the first year that that's ever happened. And uh, it was amazing. And uh, so thank you, Todd, Chris, Mike, and fellow mentors, <laughs> Ross and Wes. Um, <laughs> hey, so Chris, we'll have you back on next week for part two. And okay. uh, we'll, we'll pick up talking a little bit about anything I've gleaned from the social media book and we'll go into coursework and stuff and uh, continuing education. Can you tell the listeners where they can find and follow you? They can follow me on, well, let's keep it in the social media realm. Um, they can follow me on Instagram at Amp Training or Amp Training Center is the, the gym's uh, handle. Or just look up Chris Cooper on Facebook and Try and find a picture of me and my kids because there's probably a bunch of Chris Poopers out in the world. And actually, <laughs> I had that conversation with Casey on his podcast. I'm like, don't Google Chris Cooper because you're going to come up with the villainous actor in every movie. <laughs> he, was the he was the villain in The Muppets. And I can't live that down. How could you be the villain in a Muppet movie? You, you should actually celebrate that, though. I just think you should change your logo and branding right now. <laughs> that's pretty badass uh no it's the same thing people are like confused like you know do i call you fury or steve i'm like you can call me either but coach fury is e much easier to remember in google than coach steve holliner you know so yeah. it's another reason why i just went with it um i'm just glad someone gave me a good nickname because i didn't call myself fury somebody called me that uh, i can rebrand myself yeah um well we just had a lovely strong island moment haven't we a couple hours um and we didn't talk about the Sunrise Mall once until now. Well, we just did. The Duck Pond. That's my favorite mall in Long Island. I, although I, I no longer, it used to be my favorite mall in Long Island. That had more arcades per floor than any other uh, mall that I was aware of in Long Island. In its 80s heyday. Now there's Dave and Buster's there. Is there really? Yeah. Have they leveled that place up? Is it like a nice spot now? Yeah. Oh, shit. Got to take the kids to the mall. Well, the weird thing living in Brooklyn in the city is like, we, like, I think my kids have been in like a mall like 10 times in their life. It's like we go to stores, but we don't really go to malls. I just sounded very Long Island how I said malls on that one. <laughs> I caught it. Um, okay. so we'll, talk, we'll talk about malls and our malls, favorite malls. Continuing education. 
continuing yeah. education, a little bit more on social media and uh, uh, we'll find some other stuff to chat about. But can you please tell the listeners to die mighty? Die mighty. All right. Thanks, brother, for coming on. Hey, everybody, this was the uh, New Year's Eve. Happy New Year. Um, I hope whatever your changes you're looking to make in the new year, I'm not going to say resolutions per se, um, whatever changes you're looking to do, let's start this with a fresh start. Um, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic. Uh, and, and I have my own plans. But enjoy the holiday. And thank you for listening. And uh, trainers uh, that are listening. Um, Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope this never comes down that I'm talking at you. I hope if anything, it comes across that I'm trying to advocate for you and what we do. Um, More guidance than anything. I'm hoping. So please know that's the intent. And uh, if it's not, shoot me a message and let me know like, Hey, you sounded like an asshole on that one. Um, But I'd also say if you really have listened to this entire episode, start a comment thread about like what, how are you viewing your social media? Let's see if we get some feedback on that. Uh, I, I would love to hear your opinion on it too. Cause this isn't something that I'm trying to uh, show dominance or mastery of. It's something I'm like legitimately struggling with in terms of I'm on my phone too much. Uh, and I feel pressures that I, I think are false um, for it. Um, and then I also will on the same bipolar moment tomorrow I'll be like I'm not doing enough to support the show um so I would love to hear what you're up to on this and if you do listen to more than let's say five episodes if this was your fifth or sixth episode of this show please drop a five-star rating because <laughs> it will help the show get reach and uh more people will will be exposed to chris cooper and our guests and potentially i can get other guests as well um to throw in the mix here uh but we'll have cooper on uh next week and then keep an eye out for other ones happy new year everybody happy new year the coach fury podcast is created owned and produced by steve coach fury hollander for fury industries llc Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, tour, music, and merch info. Artwork created by Glenn Gurrieta. Visit glengurrieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or follow him on Instagram at Glenn Gurrieta. Voiceover by Laura Palmer.